0: Lord's Health System, one of the region's leading health care providers,
1: proudly presents Lord's Health Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. Everyone can feel down at times. However, if you suffer from depression without the proper treatment, your feelings of despair can become so severe that you consider taking your own life. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Schmutz. She's a psychiatrist at Our Lady of Lords Medical Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Schmutz. Who is at greatest risk of suicide? We're hearing so much about this in the media now. Who is at the greatest risk?
0: Well, those at the greatest risk of suicide actually um, are people who find themselves isolated and also suffer from a mental illness. So, you know, we, we think of suicide as kind of its own entity, but really it's a symptom of other, other diseases. Um, identified as um, what we consider are the affective disorders or the psychotic disorders, the one we talk about most is depression. Well, there's different kinds of depression. There's um, unipolar depression, which is sort of what we describe as, you know, quote-unquote clinical depression, and then there's bipolar depression, which is very difficult to treat and has a very high uh, suicide rate compared to other disorders um and then of course people who have um you know lost touch with reality and other other illnesses like schizophrenia there's also a higher suicide rate than in the general population so anybody who suffers from these disorders um especially if they've had a history in their past of either having thoughts about wanting to end their life or even attempts of having to end their, uh, trying to end their lives before unsuccessfully are definitely at a higher risk Um, We find the fastest growing, actually, rate of suicide is among older men who um, tend to be Caucasian and either widowed or divorced. So, um, you know, they tend to be very isolated. They tend to not have um, or have lost their social group. And um, with the high rates of depression in that population, there's also a, a corresponding higher increasing rate of suicide. So um, other things that that, uh, people that will contribute to suicidality also is uh, having a substance use disorder. Um, And, you know, we really see higher rates either by accidental overdose or purposeful overdose in in those who are using substances as
1: well. Is there any genetic component if a family member has committed suicide? Does that make it more likely that you're in that high-risk group?
0: Absolutely, and and we're not necessarily sure if it's truly a genetic component or it's something that's like a learned behavior, but anybody, any person who has a uh, completed suicide in a first-degree relative, so within their immediate family, a mother, father, sister, or brother, the rate of, uh, the risk of suicide in that person is certainly higher than the general population. And um, there may be a genetic component that's related to the underlying disease state, but also it might be something that's, um, you know, that's sort of, you know, mom did it, so... I can do it too type of thing. Um, So there's a, it's complex, but yes, absolutely. First degree relatives. The risk is lower than it is if you have a second degree relative, like a grandmother, grandfather, aunt, and uncle who has committed suicide, but the risk is still higher if there is that relationship than the general population or another person who doesn't have that, uh, you know, the the suicide in the family.
1: So, as far as warning signs, is it possible mm-hmm. to predict? And, and because nowadays, doctor, we're seeing people posting suicidal messages on social media, mm-hmm. or if people tell mm-hmm. you, we've been hearing, take it seriously. Tell us about some of the warning signs right. and red flags you really want people to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, I will, I will, I will definitely tell you the warning signs, but I want, and I, I really love the question about prediction. The thing is, I, I want to answer that. Quickly first, and then I'll definitely get to the warning signs. You know, we as psychiatrists and in the mental health field are sort of the ones that are supposed to, quote, predict or, or be able to determine whether someone is going to act in such a way or not. And the thing is, is that we are actually very bad at predicting who's going to end up killing themselves and who is not. And that's because the people who actually really, 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 really want to do it are the ones that are not going to reach out for help. So we don't actually always see those patients, you know, so they don't get evaluated. They don't get to talk to anybody necessarily about it because why would they want to be stopped if they're that determined to do it? So it's very difficult in any given person to predict. Now, of course, we have warning signs and risk factors that we use to predict when we're doing our evaluations, and and, um, friends and family members can be aware of these as well. And we do our best to try to intervene at these warning signs and mitigate these symptoms. And certainly we can prevent suicide or we can change someone's mind, but it's very hard to predict in the end if person A is going to do it or person B is going to do it, if their profiles look very similar or even different. Um, But things to be aware of is if somebody seems depressed, sad, down, if they say things like life isn't worth living or I'm not a good person, they have an internal sense of worthlessness or hopelessness, or they just kind of seem off. Um, They usually tend to, you know, things, um, suicidal thoughts can arise after certain life events that can be very devastating, you know, after major losses um, in the presence of using a substance when their judgment is impaired. So if they carry a diagnosis of both, say, depression or don't, you know, it's undiagnosed, but they seem down, they seem sad, they're using cocaine, it's going to make them more impulsive to act on their negative thoughts. Um, Being alone, uh, isolated, um, pulling away from friends and family, especially now we're looking at, you know, teenagers. And I know that thing, uh, the suicide's been very um, discussed in the media, I'd say, over the last year. And I know that um, the show 13's Reasons Why it lo- examines it in the, from the context of teenagers and adolescents. Um, be, you know, grades slipping in school for no reason. Um, pulling away from friends or not having friends when, or having had friends and now not having friends. Um, staying in the house a lot, um, not really communicating, being very quiet and withdrawn. These are all sort of scary things that, you know, if um, a parent starts to identify these in their children, it's important for them to talk about and try to bring them out in a welcoming and a soft and a non-judgmental sort of way. Um, there's, um, like you brought up before, um, First-degree relative, or even a second-degree relative, but if there's a suicide history in the family, the number one risk factor for attempting suicide is having had an attempt before. So, if you know a person that has tried to kill themselves before, or who has indicated that they wanted to and didn't succeed, their risk is very high for a try, another try. Um, so, these are things to look out for. If there's a loved one or someone in your life that um, you know you're concerned about, these are these are things that you need to you know, try to intervene or try to talk to them about and draw them out of their shell so they don't feel alone. Um, people who express, um, or even it's hard to tell sometimes, because like I said, people who really, really want to kill themselves sometimes end up doing it because they don't want the help. They don't ask for the help. But in order for someone to commit suicide, I had a mentor at, um, tell me this, and it really made a lot of sense to me and it was actually in the context of when Robin Williams killed himself, that for somebody to actually take their own life, they must be in complete and utterly intractable emotional pain, and they must also be in, you know, completely hopeless, that there's just no possibility to them that life can get any better. If you, any of your, you know, of a loved one, or or even if you're a mental health care provider or any health care provider, you have a patient who seems to be suffering from either one of these things or both, definitely warning signs to act on. Um, as, uh, to address your question about social media, it's hard. Um, you know, it really depends on each individual case because sometimes, you know, this we're in a world where everything gets posted online and it's hard to know Um, with adolescents, especially, you know, how much they're putting on there and how much of it is just attention seeking, because that's a normal behavior in adolescence and teenagerhood to want people to pay attention to you, whether for negative or positive attention kind of can be on equal ground, um, or if it's a real call for help, it's very hard to know. So I think the threshold should be low, that if anything is identified on social media as being worrisome, then the proper authorities or the a property authority figures, whether be it the school or be it the family or be it the actual authorities should act on it to prevent anything from happening. Because like I said, we're not great at predicting who's going to do these things. And um, posting on social media makes it easy to be anonymous too, So, or to be sort of more verbal about things that, um, you know, you you may not know is serious or not. So low threshold to act on those things, because um, we can look back at some of the cases in the in the media and the news. Um, the one at Rutgers was one of the first people that was cyberbullied and posted online that things were not good for him, and it just never got picked up. So we have to have a low threshold to to respond um, and to help whoever is posting on these on these matters.
1: So you've mentioned talking to people, getting them help. How do you talk to somebody who has made these kinds of statements and people are afraid, doctor, that sometimes if you bring it up or talk to them that you're putting that idea into their head? What do you want people to know about about what they should do when you when they sense those warning signs? So
0: That's a good question. So it's interesting that we, it, it's actually a little bit of a myth that when these things are brought up, like we want to talk, if you want to talk to somebody about suicide, but they don't say it, mention it, you know, outright, and you use the word or you use the concept with them, that that will put the idea in their heads. Studies have shown that that is not the case, actually. Um, by asking about it does not induce the uh, increased possibility that that behavior will happen, Actually, what the studies have found is that when people who are suffering and are thinking about killing themselves are asked about it directly or are asked about it in a sort of in a very non-judgmental way, they get almost like a sense of relief because in some way they get that somebody is understanding how they feel without them having to express it directly. It almost gives them permission to talk about it. Um in it but not always but that's what we find so talking about it directly in a non-judgmental way does not induce the behavior we used to think that and but that's not true so you know and that that's i think that people used to not bring it up because of that and that's it shouldn't be um if some if you if someone wants to help another person who they suspect wants to kill themselves or who is um you know really not doing well um you know it's important to talk to them to let them know that they're not alone that they um can get help and that person will will help them get help i think a lot of people also don't come forward with their feelings and their thoughts especially if they're focusing on their own death um because they're afraid of the stigma that if they say they're going to kill themselves they're going to automatically be locked in a in a mental you know health unit I would say institution, but that's kind of outdated. But we don't really have those anymore. But, you know, where they're going to be, you know, locked up, you know, and thought the crazy. And that's actually not not the case either. And now in some cases it may be, depending on how dangerous the suicidality is and also how much insight the person has into their mental illness. For instance, when somebody's psychotic, they're hearing voices, they're delusional and they're suicidal, they don't always know, you know, they're not always able to consent or they're not, you know, that's a different story. But when they're really depressed and they want help, just because they're feeling suicidal, it doesn't mean that they're going to be quote unquote locked up. They may They need a brief inpatient stay to sort of de-escalate their feelings a little bit, getting to thinking a little bit more clearly, or they might just need to be in therapy. Um, It really depends on what the thoughts are and how close they are to acting on them, if they want to act on them at all. Because a lot of people walk around with thoughts in their head about wanting to die or wanting to kill themselves, but they never try or they never do it, yet they're still suffering. So there's different degrees of how people suffer from suicidality, and then there would be different degrees and intensities of treatment. So, you know, I think that's important for somebody who is intervening for a loved one or trying to get them to talk about it, to let them know, I'm here for you, I'm not alone, you can get better. I will help you. And you won't necessarily have to be in the hospital. There's other ways. There's other things we can do. And I'll be there for you every step of the way. So, and so that's, that's the way that you sort of kind of approach it and not say you're crazy. You want to kill yourself. How can you want to kill yourself? That doesn't help. You know, say, I understand why you feel so terrible. Let's see what we can do about it together. You don't have to suffer alone. I think that can go a long way.
1: That's great advice, doctor. Wrap it up for us if, uh, to speak about this type of mental illness that still has a, quite a bit of a stigma around it. And if mm-hmm. you can yeah. really change a person's mind, can they be stopped? Wrap it up with your best advice as a psychiatrist and with the suicide helpline, what you want people to know.
0: I want people to know that, and I think in the context of what's been going on in the media, particularly with uh, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, we all kind of felt connected to them that anyone can suffer from mental illness, just like anyone can suffer from diabetes. Anybody can suffer from uh, heart disease. It doesn't discriminate, and neither does mental illness, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, um, schizophrenia any one of us are susceptible to it, some more than others based on genetic risk. But that's just, you know, it, it shouldn't be stigmatized because it's no different than any other medical illness. Suicidality is a symptom of these illnesses. And... Much like diabetes, much like heart disease, it can be chronic, but it can be treatable, and it could be, and it could be curable in some cases. There are treatments that we have out there with different, many different modalities, and every days, and uh, as the years go by and more research, there's new things that come up. There's medications. There's a million different types of therapies. There's um, there's groups. There's all sorts of psychoeducational materials that could be helpful, um, and that it's a horrible, horrible disease to suffer from. It's very internal. It's very personalized. But it, with the proper help, with the proper support, it can be treated and people can recover from suicidal thoughts, suicidality, and then the underlying diseases that it stems from.
1: Thank you so much, doctor, for being with us today and sharing your expertise on this topic of such great importance. And the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Or you can text TALK to 741741. You're listening to Lord's Health Talk. For more information, you can go to lordsnet.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks for listening.